0: There are two basic motivating forces, fear and love. When we're afraid, we pull back from life. When we're in love, we open up to all that life has to offer with passion, excitement, and acceptance. Coming to you from our studio in Santa Barbara, California, this is the Fear Me Out podcast. We're not your typical self-help program. Our show takes a deep dive into those psychological issues that affect us on a daily basis. We hope to shift your perspective and have you experiencing emotions differently. Now here are your hosts, Kim Foskey and Dr.
1: Dana Saperstein. So if you listen to the podcast uh, long enough or have listened to multiple episodes of of me speaking, my mother uh, called me different pretty much throughout my life. And that wasn't a compliment. I was different, and I grew up in a generation uh, where boys weren't supposed to show their emotions, weren't supposed to show their sensitivity. You know, I was afraid of my own shadow. Um, I did a lot of crying and uh, and was scolded for it. And um, it, it wasn't until later on in life and, and through psychotherapy and some hypnotherapy and a, uh, and a book called Highly Sensitive People by Elaine Aron did I fully... Understand and begin to embrace um, that I had this empathic ability and and was this highly sensitive person. Throughout that course, um, I've come into contact with quite a few other uh, empathic and and highly sensitive people. uh, When I thought I was just an anomaly out there, Um, there happens to be a a big brotherhood and sisterhood. And and the reason I mention that is because I think Dana and I, in our conversation, thought um, it was important to. Um, to bring this topic up um, and, and to put it out in the interviews universe because I think it, it, it is a little confusing for most people that either don't know or understand um, that either have a child or married to a friend um, that has this high intensity of emotions um, and uh, and has this ability uh, of, of higher um, empathy and, and is highly more sensitive and and, uh, and it's just different and, and can't put their finger on it. So, Dan, I think it's important f- from your clinical perspective uh, for our audience to understand what an empath actually is.
0: Well, an, an empath by definition is someone who feels their feelings way more strongly than the average person. I think it affects about, oh five 5% of the population. People are in the 95th percentile Um, in terms of sensitivity and emotionality that I would consider to be an empath. So you feel your feelings way more strongly than the average person, and you also feel more deeply about the things that matter to you. I can tell you how many people have come to see me and said to me, you know, can you help me not be so affected by the things that happen in my life on an emotional level? And most of the time, my answer is uh, no, I can't really, because uh, sensitivity is a genetic quality. Very much like the color of your skin and how tall you are, all the, you know, the color of your eyes, all of that sort of thing. We don't seem to have trouble with certain kinds of sensitivity. Like I have blue eyes. My light, my eyes are way more sensitive to light than someone who has brown eyes. I'm designed to live in the northern and southern uh, latitudes, whereas somebody with dark eyes is designed to live close to the equator. Same with my skin colors, very light. I have to put on 10 different kinds of sunscreen in order to be out in the world, whereas a lot of people I know with a darker complexion have a much easier time, uh, you know, coping with that kind of sensitivity, which just happens on a physical level. But what we're mostly talking about here is the sensitivity that happens on an emotional level. Uh, Sadly, it causes a lot of problems for children that are born as really sensitive, empathic people, sometimes in utero, but certainly from the moment that they arrive on Earth, because in order to feel a sense of security, The people around you have to be willing to take responsibility for whatever pain that they're carrying. And most people don't even realize they're carrying pain, let alone spend their lives trying to come to terms with it. So as a child, both you and I know that right from the beginning, we start to absorb the pain of the people that bring us into the world and try really hard to save them from themselves You know, it would be like uh, being in a room and the room's on fire from a sensitive, empathic perspective and everybody around you is acting like, yeah, it's a little warm in here, but it's certainly not anything to be concerned about. Whereas you're looking around thinking, oh my God, the place is going to burn down in a second. And most of the time you're made to feel ashamed of your sensitivity and made to feel like you make a big deal about things that are not important. And so very quickly you learn to keep your mouth shut and you learn to uh, do the best you can to certainly not express your sensitivity in any overt way because you're, generally speaking, going to be shamed and made to feel bad about yourself for that. That has the added effect of not being able to trust the love that comes your way because if you create a false version of yourself that you present to the world that's more palatable for the people around you and they love you, you can't trust that love because it's based on false pretenses. So not only does it create feelings of anxiety and insecurity it also uh, creates really strong feelings of internal failure because no matter how hard you try to take on the pain of the people that bring you into this world, you're gonna fail because it's humanly impossible for a child to take enough pain into his or her body to be able to make the people around you okay. So what you experience as you grow up is a profound feeling of failure and inadequacy that the average person doesn't feel because they're not trying to manage the pain of the people around them. Uh, when I was in school, uh, this concept used to be called the identified patient in the family. Uh, that would be the, the, the kid in the family that carries all the pathology and usually either acts out in the world or against themselves. And what I've come to, uh, to learn over the course of time is that it's really the sensitive person that um, feels really out of control and really scared and helpless and then uh, it creates a whole nother set of problems because how do you trust reality when your reality is so fundamentally different than the people around you? So a lot of times you can end up feeling like you're crazy, like there's something wrong with you. Why do I feel this way? Why, am I, why is life so hard? Why do I cry so easily? Why does the world feel so scary to me when everybody around me is acting like it's just another normal day? So it's extremely confusing and, and overwhelming.
1: Yeah, like I, like I said in the intro, you know, f- for me, I wish I would have figured it out at age 12 or 13 or 16 and not probably well into my 30s. If I wasn't 40 by the time that I, I fully understood that concept, probably had read that book by Elaine Aaron at that point. And it was probably when I read that book, I read it three times over and over because I thought she was actually writing it about me. It was the first time that I had actually read something that that completely identified with me. And it was it was certainly a, a, a catalyst for my healing and for my figuring out from within who I was at that point. because everything that you had just mentioned in, in terms of identifying, you know, this type of person within a family is everything that happened to me, right? Because I I knew I was different. I just didn't know why I was different. And so you curate this life or build this facade. So nobody knows that you are that person. Right? Because, you know, friends didn't know that I cried a lot at home. You know, I didn't certainly cry in, in, in front of friends, you know, I held those tears back and, and tried not to be sensitive, tried to, you know, be that person I was told I was supposed to be uh, when I was growing up and, and, you know, boys don't have emotions and boys don't cry. And so I had to, you know, I had to, to buck up and, and figure out, you know, and, and become an actor in, in my own life. And so there was certainly this, part of me that that knew something was off all along right and i think when i got to finding help psychological help with it you know i think it was one of the things that kind of drove me into like okay i can i can do this i can sit with a psychologist and 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 go through this because i want to feel or i shouldn't say i want to feel but i want to understand what i'm feeling Right. There was just something constantly off in there. And I think, again, going back through those characteristics, I mean, all those characteristics followed me through through life. Right. Taking on other people's pain, taking on other people's emotions, trying to be the peacekeeper, trying to be the rescuer. Right. You know, as my first career was as a first responder, because, again, that's where I found my validity and credibility, because if I could take put myself aside and take care of somebody else's problem, then that's where I was going to see, you know, find value in somebody who was going to see me for the real person who I was. So I was looking externally to solve that problem when I should have been looking inside myself and, and figuring out that, yeah, it's a hardwire issue, right? And like I said before, it's a blessing and a curse. Um, but, you know, I finally got there.
0: Well, I think it's really important for people to understand, again, that it is a genetic quality. It's not something that you have control over. And I think that the only way that you can influence it, like a lot of people do, is by using substances in order to try to numb yourself or, or uh, neutralize some of the depth of feeling that you go through life with. So a lot of people turn to drugs and alcohol or, or overworking or some sort of... Uh, compulsive behavior in order to try to um, numb themselves so that they don't feel what's happening around them. Because most of the time, you really are made to feel like there's something wrong with you, that you feel things as strongly as you do. And that's a burden. It's really hard to go through life feeling sort of like you're a crazy person for feeling what you feel. And it can also lead you to feel quite ashamed of yourself because depending on the nature of the person's pain that you're taking into your body... A lot of the pain that parents carry has to do with their own abuse and their own trauma and uh, a lot of shame that gets uh, embedded in their body that you take on yourself and then it feels as though it's you rather than really recognizing the pain belongs to somebody else. So a lot of times when I'm working with somebody and they uh, describe a symptom or a certain way of talking to themselves, I say, well, whose voice is that? Are you sure that that's really how you feel about yourself or is this something that um, that you sort of took on as a result of trying to manage the people around you? And I will tell you that at least, I don't know, 90% of the time, it's not their voice speaking inside of them. It's somebody else's voice they've internalized and taken out on themselves. So it's difficult to live with what I would call multiple realities. You have your own personal reality that nobody um, acknowledges. You have the uh, the reality of the people that bring you into this world that most people are pretty much married to, and so you have to become a part of that way of living, which is to not feel things very strongly and to pretend like the problems in the family don't exist. And sometimes it's even overlaid with a, a religious uh, structure that imposes a whole other set of of values and realities that uh, are really hard to accept, because the more sensitive you are, sometimes the more hypocrisy that you feel in relationship to organized religion. And I'm not trying to speak poorly of organized religion, but most of the people I know that questioned their religious philosophy that their family brought into their lives that are sensitive people were made to feel really ashamed of themselves and really terrible about the questions they asked and the and the curiosity that they had about things that they found were not uh, easily digested by them that everybody else was able to digest without too much trouble. So it can be really confusing. And, and, and most kids, whatever um, problems happen in a family, they believe is their fault and they take it out on themselves. And it, and it creates a whole host of bad feelings about yourself and, and uh, um, causes a lot of pain.
1: So, you know, this is not something that's taught to you in school, being young. I, it, there has to be some, you know, psychological sof- sophistication in the family, and I'm talking about currently now, to kind of figure out that, that maybe that's who you are or somebody explaining to you who you are. But I, I'm guessing that, that people that come to see you don't know initially that they're empathic, or a highly sensitive person, or both. I don't know if they're synonymous with each other. Um, But um, obviously it comes out to you in their underlying symptomology.
0: Well, and just the way that the person carries themselves is enough, regardless of what their symptoms might be. For me, it's really easy to read uh, the level of sensitivity that a person walks in my door with because... Uh, Without realizing, we advertise who we are in many, many different ways. And because I have learned to embrace my sensitivity and I trust my intuition implicitly, uh, it makes it really easier for me to um, get a feeling about where somebody's coming from. It doesn't take long at all. And so people are often surprised where in the first visit or two, and I, I ask them, well, let's talk about sensitivity. And they look at me like, well, why would that have anything to do with anything? And generally speaking, once I help them understand uh, that they possess that particular trait and how it's affected them, the most common response I get is, how come in all the therapy I've ever had, nobody's ever uh, brought this up before? Why why is this uh, uh, something that's so important to you, but nobody's ever talked to me about? And I said, well, we all have a different idea about these things, but uh, my life is filled with really sensitive people, both personally and professionally. And so it makes a great deal of sense to me uh, based on my own experience and certainly hundreds of people that have come to see me that possess this uh, set of qualities and traits. And so it just feels very logical and easier for me to identify.
1: So i maybe I'm an anomaly, but you know, when it was first brought to my attention, um, like most things in life, I'm pretty skeptical about, right. And so I think it took, a while for me to really understand, you know, I'm thinking, okay, I'm empathic. Yes. I'm sensitive. Okay. I I, I get that. But, you know, is, is just, is this just a label, you know, um, for lack of any other better, you know, diagnosis or or terminology of of who I am. Right. And so I think, you know, the, the more and more, um, that I talked about it in therapy, and the and the more and more I read about it, um, it it finally became okay. This is who I am. So, it, 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 am I a bit of an anomaly, that, or is it, is, or do most of your patients that you talk to about this, when you talk when you have the sensitivity discussion with them, all of a sudden feel like a, a ton of bricks has been lifted out of their shoulder. They totally get that they're an empath.
0: Uh, I wish everybody was as accepting of it as uh, I would like them to be. I mean, there's a man I see who's in his 70s that um, every time I, we speak about it, he starts to cry because he has spent his whole life fighting it and wishing that it, really believing there's something wrong with him and wishing that um, he could get rid of it. So it's not always easy to accept. There's another woman I know that I've been working with for a really long time. And finally, after years and years, uh, something clicked inside of her and she started to realize why the world has affected her as strongly as it has and, and why uh, she reacts the way she does to most of the uh, experiences she's had. And um, it's hard to accept sometimes because it does single you out and it does separate you out from the average person in ways that can be uncomfortable because the world is designed for average and there's nothing wrong with average. I'm, I'm of average height. And I'm not upset about that. And, you know, I'm, I'm, my shoe size is average. There's more people with my shoe size than any other. And I'm not upset about that, uh, you know. So it, it just depends on uh, how much it scares you, actually, more than anything else. Because it is a really scary way to live. Plus, it can be extremely lonely. When I work with adolescents, especially they wonder, how come it's so hard for me to relate to my peers? And why do I feel so different? And, uh, you know, people often approach them with their problems and, and they become junior psychologists. Uh, but they often feel kind of lonely because um, of they can tell that they're just so fundamentally different than the people around them. And it can be lonely. And a lot of times it's really hard to find people that are very much like yourself that you feel a close connection to. Um, and usually it can become apparent actually when you're in elementary school that um, a lot of kids struggle because th- things affect them th- so strongly emotionally that they're made fun of or they're kind of singled out and bullied and all that sort of thing because um, you know if, if you f- if you're a bully, you're gonna find the weakest link, not that being sensitive is weak, but it's perceived at as being really vulnerable by uh, you know by bullies especially. No I
1: certainly got picked on yeah especially during adolescence, right? Um, because they they certainly can pick up on, you know, your weakness. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm lucky that I grew to my 6'4" stature, right, relatively quick quickly. Yeah. Um, so in my, my teenage years that that stopped pretty quickly. But I, I definitely was that, that weak link there. Whether it's a whether it's a diagnosis, whether it's a, a, a identification of, of who you are or whatever semantic you want to use to, to, to describe that. So you figure out, and, and I think this was a, a hard part or a harder part for me was, okay, I figured this out. I fully embrace it. I get it. Now what do I do with it?
0: Well, I think it's a gift personally, but that's a very biased perspective because uh, I wouldn't have the life that I do uh, without it. I mean, it, it's the perfect uh, characteristics and qualities to have as a therapist. Um, I've actually helped two or three or four other people become therapists that I very quickly realized had uh, very strong empathic qualities and were designed to be therapists. so I've helped them in that in that journey. But I will say that initially when when it first starts to affect you, it can be it can be really scary. Um, I know I've told the story before on our podcast, but there was a twelve year old girl who came to see me uh, a number of years ago who was starting junior high school, and we all know junior high school is a very painful, uncomfortable time in a young person's life. And her mom would drive her to school, and when she got to the parking lot and stepped out of her car, she would was a, just started having panic attacks as soon as she stepped out of the car. She was fine all the way to school and was really excited about going to school, but as soon as she stepped out of the car, she just completely lost any sort of feeling of security and had a very, very significant panic attack trying to make it through the parking lot into the school. And um, uh, fortunately, she was referred to me by a a family friend and, and, you know, this really lovely girl comes bouncing into my office and I ask her, you know, what was happening with her and she described that situation and I very quickly could see without any question how empathic this little uh, young woman was. And so I said to her, Um, can you tell whether the panic that you're having is coming from something inside of you or is coming from outside of you? And, you know, she kind of looked at me like I was nuts. Like, Mm -hmm. what are you talking about? And I said, well, um, I'm sure you've been in a really big storm when the wind's blowing really hard and, uh, it has a really strong effect on people when the wind blows really hard. And sometimes it can even have a negative effect. If the wind is strong enough, it can scare you. Um, And that's not something that's coming from inside of you. That's coming from the outside. So I asked her if she would please, when she steps out of the car, see if she can tell whether the emotional wind is blowing really hard at her or whether her feelings are coming from inside of her. And uh, she came back a few days later and uh, was really clear about the fact that stepping out of the car brought like a rush of emotional pain to her from the outside. And that made a great deal of sense to me because I think everybody that gets out of the car and is walking toward their junior high school, especially initially, is wondering, is anybody going to like me? Am I going to have any friends? Are people going to think I'm attractive? Will I spend my my days here in pain and alone and all of that stuff? And she was absorbing everybody's fear stepping out of the car. So I asked her if she could figure out some way of wrapping herself in something that might help her feel safe, just like you put a coat on when it's really cold outside. And she said, well, I love cotton candy. And I said, well, when you get out of the car, just wrap yourself up in cotton candy and understand that it's going to keep the pain of other people from coming into your body. And the only thing that your body is going to take in is, uh, is goodwill and love and good feelings, and the rest of it is going to bounce off the cotton candy. And, you know, her mom looked at me like I was nuts, but she was kind of thrilled by the idea And so she went to school and she tried it and it it worked perfectly because um, what she needed was an emotional coat in order to feel safe. And so she came back the next week and she was so excited and said to me, it worked and I feel so good. And guess what? My daddy's just liked me and he was always wondering why the world affected him the way that it did. And so me and my daddy are both really sensitive people and he has cotton candy around him and I have cotton candy around me and I never saw her again after that because she was fine.
1: So who knew con can? He could be a buffer.
0: Well, I mean, whatever the images that a person uh, can use in order to protect themselves from pain, it's not up to me to decide what the image should be. Uh, there's a, somebody I know who uses clouds as a way of protecting themselves. Um, there's all, the, it, whatever your imagination can come up with, it doesn't really make any difference because mm-hmm. if you recognize that it's no different than protecting yourself from the cold, uh, then it's really quite simple to take care of yourself.
1: Are empaths more susceptible to to other certain psychological issues?
0: Um, Well, I would say that in a certain way, if you have depression or anxiety as an empath, you're going to feel it more strongly than the average person because you feel everything more Uh strongly. So I guess in that way, the answer is yes. But you also have the ability to feel your intuition on a much more exquisite level than the average person. So in my mind, that gives you a a connection to something that I believe is really sacred, which is your intuition. And your equipment is designed to feel it way more strongly than the average person, which to me can create a balance and to help you feel much more uh, uh, connected to yourself Mm -hmm. and the world around you in a very vital way certainly increases your ability to come up with novel solutions to problems and to be much more creative than the average person.
1: So that's how you use your empathic ability to your advantage.
0: That's how I use it um, because I learned a long time ago that the biggest mistakes that I have ever made uh, were not trusting my intuition and talking myself out of what I know is true. So I'll tell you for as long as I can remember, I absolutely do not mess with what my Intuition tells me. I look at it as an incredible gift, and I li- treat it as though it's sacred. And it really—it doesn't prevent me from having difficulty in my life. I mean, everybody's got pain. There's no shortage of, of pain that a person can, suffer. But it does provide me with a certain amount of resilience, that I don't think that I would have otherwise.
1: One of the commonalities, and I think we already spoke about it uh, at the beginning of the podcast, one of the commonalities that, that at least I found in, in talking to other impasse and highly sensitive people is, and I want to call it our ability, because it's a curse of taking on other people's pain and emotion, right? Um. That is, for me, I won't talk about anybody else, but for me, that was the hardest thing for me to overcome. Um, because when you talk about people coming in the office and saying, can you help me not care as much? And it's a literal impossibility, right? Because we always say, you know, the best thing about life is all you need is somebody that cares, right, in, uh-huh. in your life. And then your life is golden. Right. Um, so it's weird that somebody would come in and say, you know, I... I help me not care as much. And, and I fully get that because I've, I've had that thought process many times. It's like, Jesus, why do I care so much? Why am I so invested in this? Why do I feel this so strongly? You know, and, and like you said, I mean, you, you can cover that up with, you know, substances and, 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 or, or other things to, to try and get away from it. But, you know, it's always still going to be there. You know, the next time it happens, it's going to be just as sensitive and just as painful. I asked you this question a hundred times before. Maybe we've talked about it on the podcast. But, but again, and, I, and I'm finally, as you know, I'm finally just have gotten there where I can still care, mm-hmm. but not take on that other people's emotional energy or, or or negativity or emotional baggage or whatever you want, want to care. I, I, I see it's there, but I don't own it anymore. and But it, it took me a long time to get there.
0: Well, it does for most people, and most people never get there. I mean, the, the rescue fantasy is the most common uh, way of approaching romantic relationships in our world, and that is for a reason, because if you are brought up believing and experiencing love as being responsible for the people in your life and managing their pain, what's going to stop you from doing that in a romantic relationship? And so I think that that unless you consciously understand what you're doing and find a way to to be compassionate without taking people's pain on, it is going to take you down. Something I had to learn a long time ago, otherwise I would have been squished flat by the amount of pain that... um, I welcome into my world because, again, you know that one of my specialties is post-traumatic stress and I work with people who've had the most unspeakable things happen to them as children that you could imagine. So um, how can I be in the face of all of that pain and have it not affect me uh, in, a, in a negative way? I mean, I'm not going to tell you I don't feel sad sometimes when people describe the, the things that happen to them but I don't take anybody's pain into my body at all. Absolutely not. Number one, I think it would be disrespectful. And number two, I think that uh, that if I took your pain into my body, that would give you the message that you're not capable of managing your own pain. And that's also disrespectful. Um, so I perceive my job as being to introduce you to your pain and to show you how to release it, but for me not to take it in and take it on in any way. And I think that that is a true expression of love from my definition. Um, but it's almost irresistible when you're used to it and done it your whole life. And it kind of feels weird not to do it once, you've, once you're used to it. But um, I look at it as a spiritual issue that uh, there's plenty of sort of healing energy in the world. In my mind, it comes from God. You can describe it any way you like. And that's the source of where the pain can be released. So I don't have to take it into my body in order to process it. I can help you release it. Like when we did our episode on hypnosis and you were dealing with the pain of, uh, you know, being inside your mom and being you know, told that you're going to be given away and feeling the abandonment. I didn't take your pain into my body, but you certainly were able to release huge amounts of it just by allowing it to leave your body. So to me, that's the secret is being present and being loving and, and connected, but not monkeying with people's pain because it does nothing but create problems to do that.
1: So you have a psychological sophistication, um, and you you do it for a living, right? So it, it it sounds, you know, what you're saying is sounds like completely obvious, right? But, and, and I, you know, we've had, you and I've had this discussion many times, I, 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 was trying to fathom how you do this on a day in day out basis. And you kept telling me the same thing, which you just told our audience just now. And it took a long time for me to, to have it resonate to me. So I was very cognizant about what you had said and how it applies of not taking on pain, but it was, it was still difficult for me to do it. So, you know, you don't have to be an empath to take on somebody else's pain. There's certainly a lot of people out there that aren't empathic that take on other people's pain. Um, how, do you, how, how do you explain to the, go back to the average person again, how do you explain to the average person that it's not your responsibility? Because, again, this goes back to the caring question, right? Because I fully believe that most humans care for the most part. They're not malicious. They they care, whether well, they care about themselves more than they care about somebody else. That's a different story. But I think most humans have that caring ability in them, right? Mm-hmm. It's innate. It's innate in them. So so all of us are taking on some level of somebody else's emotional baggage unless you've been psychologically trained not not to do that and understand why you were doing it, how you did it, and how not to do it anymore. And so I'm guess I'm, I'm asking again, is, is how does the average person learn how not to do this? Well, it
0: always, it, it always starts with a intellectual explanation, obviously. <laughs> and, and,
1: and like I said before, you know, when we talk about other really good podcasts out there and other good psychology podcasts and Andrew Huberman and, and stuff like that, there's a very... Highly intellectual explanation to everything, right, right. Which, which is completely fine because it makes it interesting to listen to, and it it's you know, and, and if you're into intellectual conversations and and topics and stuff like that, it, it it's great it's great to hear, and, and I'm not putting them down because I think they do a really good job what they say, but the average person isn't going to conceptualize what Dr. Huberman says on his podcast right. about those things. So, what I want is that you know, especially for audiences, okay, and, and again, I'm not trying to get the magic wand out here and say, oh, hey, we can f- just the tap of the magic wand and we can fix it. You never have to take on somebody's emotional baggage, but is there a way, is there a, a simplification for, for people out there to say, okay, if you're doing this, instead of saying, don't do it, how do you not do it?
0: Uh, I think it's a question of faith more than okay. anything else because I, I wasn't taught this in psychology school. There was no mention of how to handle other people's pain in the course of my educational and uh, uh, clinical training. That wasn't part of the picture at all. I get more advertisements about how do you deal with being burnt out as a therapist than any other kind of uh, education. Which I
1: can't fathom for the life of me that that is not something that's taught to a therapist or to a psychologist.
0: Well, I don't even think the concept of taking somebody's pain into your body is part of uh, the psychology, the psych- world of psychology, because w- 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 all the invitations that I get to t- retreats are all how to uh, how to recover from burnout. So, they don't tell you how not to get burnt out. They tell you how to recover from it.
1: Well, that that would have been me, right? Because if I decided that I wanted to be a psychologist in my life, and I was switching uh-huh. places with you, uh-huh. I never understood why I was so sensitive. Uh That's why I would be going to the burnout retreat because I couldn't do this day in and day out.
0: That's right. And that is the case for most people because that's not what what we're taught in school. What we're taught in school is uh, diagnosis, treatment planning, and helping people uh, resolve their pathology. And that's the going notion by the state of California and most-
1: They slap that label on their forehead and send them on their way. yeah. Now, I know
0: that you and I have talked about this many times before, but when I was in my 30s, uh, I had a dream when I went to sleep. And I went to sleep feeling incredibly confused about my spiritual connection. And I really did not fully understand what it all meant and what it was all about for me. So, again, that dream was instrumental in this process because part of the dream was, you know, my asking god who came to my door well you know what's the deal what's your purpose in my life what do you know what do why do i want to believe and why do i want to surrender to your love and will and all that stuff and th- the answer to that on a professional level was that you know god said to me i'm here to help you in your chosen profession because you've got to get it you have dedicated yourself to being of service to other people that are in an enormous amount of pain and so uh we're going to do it together. Your job is to be the human representative of my will, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. So that's when I came to understand that God's purpose is to help with the pain, and my purpose is to help introduce you, I guess, in a certain way, to where your pain is coming from so that you can release it. Now, I get that a lot of people don't believe in God, and that's okay. Uh, Because uh, this little girl that I was telling, or young woman that I was telling you about, I didn't say anything about God or any of that stuff. I just introduced her to the concept that there is a coat that you can put on yourself to protect you from other people's pain. And you could make it super complicated if you want to, or put on the coat and the, be safe.
1: It's the superhero analogy. <laughs> that's right. Con Canny may not be a superhero, but it's the analogy, right? Well,
0: in my mind, and again, I could be completely delusional. I'll be the first one Fair. to admit it because I have no proof. But in my mind, there is no energy stronger than God's love. So all of the evil and the pain and all the stuff that's real in the world cannot come close to overcoming God's love and goodwill. So that's why I feel safe. And that's why I can invite whatever, whatever situation finds its way into my life, because there's nothing that's going to come that's going to harm me unless I choose to take it in. And I already learned a long time ago, I don't have to do that to help someone. And it doesn't have to be super complicated. I don't meditate. I don't do any sort of ritual anything. I just accept what I was invited to do and I experience it every single day. So it's reinforced on a daily basis. And it just reinf- it, re- it reinforces my faith, for lack of a better way of putting it. And um, because I have that faith, I don't have I, I don't feel afraid when I'm in the face of other people's pain. I don't feel overwhelmed by it. I don't feel like I, there's nothing I can do. I, 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 I always feel a sense of hope in a certain way that if a person is willing to go on the journey of healing, I can accompany them and they can release the pain it's not going to hurt them not going to hurt me and it'll just go backward where it belongs i guess for lack of a better way of putting it because um it just evens it just evens things out i guess for lack of a better way of putting it
1: so um, it's really it's really the development of that buffer or that coat as you described it
0: yeah i mean look we don't I mean, I don't think you fuss when you look out the window and see it's raining. You, you don't put your bathing suit on and go out and sit out in your lounge chair. <laughs> you, you, you just deal with what's right in front of you, right? Oh, right. yeah, it's going to be cold today, so I'm going to put on clothes and, and and you know, wear a jacket and maybe even take an umbrella. And you don't seem like that's a problem for you. You just deal with whatever the, the situation is in a straightforward way. But somehow when it comes to our emotional lives, we make it so complicated, and have to go through all of this ritual and all of this, this and that. And, I, and I, I'm really sorry, but I just don't think it's necessary. I think you can keep it as simple as you are willing based on based on whatever choice you make in that regard. So I just try to teach people to keep it really simple. If you want to develop a spiritual relationship and you want to learn how not to take on people's pain, then ask for help in that regard. Right? Ask God to take the pain for you. Or if you don't want to look at it from a spiritual perspective, ask the universe or the nature or whatever whatever you want to. But just make sure that you don't continue the habit of trying to manage people's pain because that will continually take you down and make you feel terrible.
1: And we're not talking about the loss of empathy or the loss of sympathy or the loss of caring, though.
0: I don't think so. I mean, maybe I'm, again, incredibly delusional, but but I believe that I approach what I do with, an, with as much warmth and, and goodwill and love as I possibly can because I really, really love what I do and I really enjoy the people that come to see me. And I think I enjoy a lot of the people that come to see me more than they enjoy themselves <laughs> because most of us were our own worst enemy.
1: Well, and I agree with you because you know I followed that path for a long time. And again, until recently, Um, And having now multiple um, times that I could have easily fallen back into that same pattern and didn't and didn't take it on and still was able to show, you know, sympathy and empathy for that person, but didn't take on that their energy at that point. It's it's really freeing. And and like I said before, like you, I think you mentioned before, it, it is different the first time it happens, so you're like uh-huh. what just happened yeah because I just didn't respond to that the way I normally respond to that so how did that how did that work again and so you know through that practice and through being cognizant of that and and I never I don't know if I was ever explained to use a coat or a berry. I don't don't remember that, but I don't use that. Right for me, it was being cognizant of the fact of, okay, understanding what's going on here. Mm-hmm. This is not my pro- This is not my problem. Right. This is somebody else's problem. Uh-huh. If I choose, I choose to help them. I'll choose to help them, but I'm not going to take on that that energy, right, from them, um, or or the negativity from them.
0: Do you think it's diminished your love for that person or your care for that person that you don't take their pain into your body?
1: Um, I, no, not at all. I don't see, uh, you know, and I had to think back on that the last few times it's happened. I don't, uh, no, it hasn't. I mean, I've, I, I've seen them a certain way, whether I would have taken it on or not in that way. Um, I, I think it's actually helped me actually be more compassionate by not uh-huh. taking it on. Yeah. Um, Because I think there's a a certain defense when you do take it on I think there's a certain defense mechanism that Uh automatically kicks in and then that defense mechanism, you know, all of a sudden puts you on the defensive and you can become the asshole at that at that point because you've taken it on it's projecting it back to them. So, yeah, absolutely, I think I've become more compassionate and and, and probably, you know, a, a better friend or confidant in not taking it on and and being able to, to truly, you know, um, have sympathy and empathy for them.
0: Well, and I think, you know, Kim, I think it's coincided with your developing faith because, uh, you know, when you did your psychedelic journey, you had such a profound uh, spiritual awakening. And since that time, you've had, Uh, four or five dreams that have been incredibly reinforcing of the fact that you're not alone in the world and that there is a force, whatever you want to call it, God, whatever, that's there to accompany you through this journey and is there to to help you uh, with whatever it is that you're uh, trying to come to terms with. I mean, you, you told me you had a dream last night and I'm not sure if you're comfortable talking about it, but it was amazing.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, I was just thinking about that is that, you know, before we started recording, I did, I did have that, you know, dream where um, it, it kind of took me back into when I was married. And um, some of the things that I was blamed for um, during the marriage that I had completely forgotten about. It was like, oh, my God, you know, it, it's one of those dreams where you think, am I actually dreaming or am I actually awake thinking about this? Um, and the dream kept telling me that you're not responsible for this. But it, it was kind of this, hey, remember this, remember this happened, remember this happened, but you're not responsible for that. That wasn't you. That was, being pro- that was a fear being projected upon you. Okay. And the interesting part was that I didn't wake up confused or I didn't wake up with a level of anxiety or wake up like in this profuse sweat or with this ton of weight on my shoulders. I woke up like, oh, I fully get it now.
0: Yeah, because again, the message that you got is that loving someone does not mean healing their pain.
1: Right, that's exactly the message I got.
0: It it, it means not taking it on as your responsibility and believing in that magical fantasy that if I just save this person, they'll love me forever. And that comes from the moment of your conception and the moment that your mother understood that she was pregnant and didn't want you and doing everything you could to take her pain in and make her life better when you were the one that was being given away. And you were the one that was suffering the abandonment and the terror of, of, of you know being given up by your mom. But it was all about you being a bad person and causing pain. So how would that not become your template for love later on in your life? And so now what you're coming to understand really deeply and really clearly is that relationship to pain is outlived its usefulness. And you don't have to be responsible for the pain of the people that you care about and that you love. And that your job is to show them what it looks like to be cared for and loved, but not in a self-destructive way.
1: Is, is RAM still a, a relevant term when we talk about computer storage and stuff? But <laughs> anyway, it seems like I have, uh, like, my RAM has been re- restored or yeah. at least, or it has been enhanced.
0: You cleaned your cache or whatever I, I cleaned is. my cache or something. That's, I mean,
1: that's really what it, it uh-huh. feels like. And, yes. and again, I don't, again, I know you mentioned the psychedelic journey and this was not an endorsement to to go take psychedelic type drugs, but again, when we talk about modalities, and again, this is my story and my journey, and, and other people have other stories and other journeys and, and use other modalities, but again, using those modalities to, to, to in, in my favor, and especially the hypnotherapy episode we did a few weeks ago that aired, ha, has certainly continued this healing journey for me, and I don't think I would have had, whether you call them epiphanies or whether you call them reinforcements or whatever term you want to use, I wouldn't have had them without seeking out these other modalities. Um, I know that, uh, again, that we, we did get a lot of feedback, um, especially from the hypnotherapy episode, and, and people use certain terms that I'm uncomfortable with in, in, in calling me a hero and things like that. I certainly don't see myself as a hero, but I, but I do know that a lot of people said, well, if you can sit on a the couch there and, and do that and, and put that out into the universe... I certainly can do it in the, in in with the privacy of my own therapist. Uh-huh. There, so uh, again, I, I, I want to go back and tell the audience that that you know if you're st- still dealing with old patterns or you're still any of the things that we talk about tend to resonate with you, um, try different, try some modal, try some other modalities. You know, get get that help, get the professional help, seek that because. Again, I wouldn't be here speaking with you um, about any of this stuff if I didn't do that.
0: You know, the other thing I want to make sure that is super clear is that I do not see myself as a special person. I've had some really amazing spiritual and other experiences in my life, but I don't think it's because I'm a special person. I think it's because I'm open to it and that my imagination is incredibly vivid and always has been as a result of being super sensitive. I remember... As a kid, always having a, I got a note from my second grade teacher saying, you need to have your <laughs> son examined by a by somebody because he has <laughs> such a vivid imagination, right? <laughs> like somehow that was a bad thing. I, I remember so clearly that my mom saying, you know, your teacher thinks there's something wrong with you because of your imagination. And I was so confused by that huh. because, uh, you know, it just seems so weird to be criticized for being, Extremely imaginative. And so I think that that's why I'm as fortunate as I am in a certain way is because um, I'm always looking and always wanting uh, to have magical experiences in my life, not based on pathology, but just based on, on, I guess, a spiritual connection. Um,
1: No, I used to, I mean, I've teased you before about why does God come visit you, but not me? And again, I don't want to get on this God topic because there's some people out here listening that don't believe in God or, or whatever. Right. But again, I, I teased you about that. And, and what you said about being open, I think, is, is spot on. Because when I started opening myself up, when I had, whether it was a spiritual awakening, whether it was a spiritual re- reawakening, because, again, I did have one foot in, one foot out. Um, so I, I wasn't completely anti. But, um, but when I started opening myself up... Um, Boy, did the, the light shine a lot brighter!
0: And I think it takes a lot of courage to do that because what if it doesn't happen? What if you surrender, and then you don't feel anything? How foolish would you?
1: Uh, oh, I've done that though. Right? I, I I have surrendered. I've given up. I've given up. I've given up a hundred times right. before because I thought this was my lot in life. Right? I was going to be uncomfortable. I was going to be depressed. I was going to be, whatever. I was going to be unlovable, and so I gave up a hundred different times in my life. Right. Um, because I had to trust my intuition and my intuition kept telling me something different yeah. that, that, that there, that now you, you can give up, but we're just going to keep telling you, um, that there, that no, there's a, there's something better for you out there Right. that there's, there's, you know, that you just got to open yourself up for it and, and have faith and, and, and be confident and, and it will show you. And that that's been happening to me uh, a lot more in the last the last number of months, but a lot, but certainly a lot more in the last couple of years. That way, so you know, uh, again, going back to, to opening up and and having a much broader perspective on, on your life, and like you said, being curious. About certain things, I'm, I'm, certainly you don't have to go take LSD and, and certainly you don't have to do s- hypnotherapy, but just having this being curious about life and being curious about things certainly will broaden your perspective and, and having that open openness does bring a lot more light to your life.
0: You know, I think that another quality that you're describing without realizing you're describing it is that when you're a really sensitive person, you have an inordinate need for stimulation in order to yeah. feel a sense of well-being. <laughs>
1: And, and and then it goes to the opposite side where you need a ton more of downtime by yourself. Well, well.
0: that is true in order to regenerate yourself, to right. to be capable of, of the kind of seeking the stimulation that you're looking for. Because um, I know one thing about my uh, experience in the world is that I cannot get enough information. I read incessantly. I'm always trying to ask people millions of questions because I'm just insanely curious about everything. And um, I, I have a really strong need for for that kind of stimulation, and I, th- I don't think it's unhealthy. I, I, you know, sometimes it drives me crazy. Like, okay, can I just chill? <laughs> but my 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 mind and my body are always
1: seeking more and
0: more and more. And I don't think it's in an unhealthy way.
1: Um, well, and, and I was going to ask for clarification. I mean, you're 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 seeking it for knowledge. You're not seeking it for answers. No, I'm Which not looking, I think is, a, uh, no. is an important differentiation there.
0: I don't read self-help books. I actually, right. embarrassingly enough, don't read psychology books because... <laughs>
1: because I think uh, we've put down the profession right. enough to people well, know
0: that. Truth be told, when I was getting my education, I read all of Stephen King's books as an example. Yeah. And I would think to myself, this guy knows more about right. human nature than any psychological theorist I've ever read in my entire life.
1: Well, that's what I was saying. I mean, if, if you actually read a bunch of literature out there. And I'm talking about not, not so much some of the classics, but some of the great writers out there. And you actually read some stuff from some, from the great philosophers out there about life. You'd probably be the significantly better psychologist or, or whatever than, than most that are clinically trained in that way.
0: Well, what I learned from Stevie King's example is about greed and, and lust and, and you know, fear of being a failure, and all the different...
1: You have to start a new psychology school now. Yeah. <laughs> Based all on stuff. Stephen King's writings.
0: Well, because he, as, at least in the old days, was so descriptive in his ideas about human nature. And I, I'm just super curious about all this stuff, and it helps. It helps make life more interesting. I know we're a bit off the subject here, but I think that that's part of being a, a sensitive person is a thirst for um, knowledge, knowledge and understanding.
1: So be, before, we, uh, before we end this, this conversation on, on empathetic and, and uh, impasse and, and highly sensitive people, people out there are listening right now that either are married to one, have, have one as a child, are in a relationship with one, have one as a friend, work with somebody that they've probably now deemed to have that uh, uh, characteristic. So if you're not one, but you deal with one um, on a regular basis. How, how should you be dealing with those type of people?
0: Well, I think the most important thing is to try not to shame somebody for things that they have no control over. Because a lot of times it's really uncomfortable to be around somebody who's really highly emotional, and, um, and it can be a little bit scary. Now, the other thing is that if you have empathic people in your life, they can read you really well. And if you have secrets, it's going to be really uncomfortable for you because they're going to divine your secrets, whether you like it or not. Yeah. And so that, that a lot of times that's why parents shut their kids down that are really sensitive because they don't want their pain to be exposed. They don't want their secrets to come out because they're too ashamed of those things and too uh, embarrassed to, you know, take responsibility for them. So it's not easy having somebody in your life that's like that. I mean, again, I've joked before, I can clear out a room like nobody's business. All I got to do is tell them what I do for a living and everybody wants to run away from me, unless you're somebody who's psychologically minded and, you know, sort of enjoys having that kind of conversation.
1: Well, I feel your pain on that one because being the single guy in the room <laughs> and, and, and dating and, and somebody that's trying to be close to the vest, I, I can read them uh-huh. and, you know, and, and ask for that type of transparency or they're trying to tell me, you know, one thing and I'm reading something else and I call them on that it makes somebody hugely uncomfortable. Uncomfortable, yes. When when you, it's like having X-ray vision and you uh-huh. you're seeing them naked. Yes, there, um, which again is a blessing and a curse, right? It yeah. it either is, it, it's a blessing that you you see them for the way you are, or it's a it's it's a curse because you can't stand them now. Anymore. Well,
0: I don't I don't really mind clearing out a room because if people are afraid, it's not my responsibility to uh, make them comfortable. I can't help be the person that I am, so I don't see it. Well, as a that curse. goes
1: back to you know taking on somebody else's exactly. pain, pain <laughs> and emotion, right? It's not it's not up to you to make them comfortable, right? No, I can't.
0: There's nothing I can say. I can't you know? I used to lie to people when they asked me what I did for a living. I'd say I was an artist, and they'd say, "Well, what's your medium?" And I'd say words, and they look at me like, what "Kind <laughs> of a nut are you?" You're a wordsmith, exactly.
1: Huh. Well, if anybody's interested um, in, in learning more uh, about the highly sensitive person and, and the empathic person, I I'd highly recommend Elaine Aaron's book, *The Highly Sensitive Person*, um, because not only did it augment what my psychologist ha- had told me, but it uh, it contains some other information that was extremely helpful uh, for me. And I, I've given it out over the years numerous times to to either people that read it and say, "No." I thought it was that, but I'm not really that. Or my God, you thought the book was written about you. It was written about me type thing. So I I think it's it's really helpful. So Dana, thanks because I think it was an important topic.
0: We appreciate our listeners and are interested in your comments and suggestions. Feel free to email us at fearmeoutpodcast at gmail.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor for this podcast, please email us at fearmeoutpodcast at gmail.com.